Father, we pray that over our own lives as well, that, that you would restore us back into the original glory that you created us to live in, that, that you would continue to shape us more and more so that we become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And, and that's what we that's what we want. That's why we come here on Sunday mornings. We come here to, to praise you, to, to worship you, to offer up our prayers to you. But we also come because we want to hear you speak to us and we want you to transform our hearts and our minds. And so as we come to your word now, we, we pray that you would do that, that you would, that you would speak to us clearly through, through the message and through your word and that you would use this to, to shape our hearts and to shape our minds. And we pray that there are all these possible things that could distract us, the to-do lists and, and frustrations and anxieties, Lord, and we just pray that you would push all those off to the side and that you would help us to, be, um, to hear you clearly, and we ask you to speak powerfully to us this morning. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, you can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 30, otherwise it will be up on the screen as well. And I forgot to mention earlier as well, I do have study booklets created for each sermon in this part of the series as well. They're back in the basket um, in the foyer there, so we've got a whole stack of them yet. And so if you want to be able to kind of go beyond what I'm teaching in the sermon in the morning and, and see a bunch of different scripture passages and some questions to kind of help you think more deeply about it, uh, just grab a, one of the study booklets from the basket back there. Um, but let's, let's read God's word now. Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And as I was studying this passage this week, I was thinking about a common mistake that I encounter on a regular, on a regular basis. And it's happening throughout our country, it's happening throughout the world. And it's not just a mistake being made by, by non-Christians. It's actually a mistake that I think is regularly being made in the church. Um, and it goes something like this. I'll be talking with someone and they will say, um, I'm really a pretty good person. It's not like I've ever murdered anybody. Or they'll say, it's not like I'm a thief. I've never actually stolen anything in my entire life. Or I have my sexuality under control. It's not like I've ever slept with someone outside of marriage. And, and I hear these statements regularly. And it's interesting because Jesus heard these kind of statements as well. There's this interaction we read about in Mark. It says as, as he was setting out on his journey, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. 
And the young man said to him, Teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. Do you hear the, hear the mistake he made? The same thing. I've never done any of those things. I'm, I'm good, right? I've never murdered, never committed adultery, never stolen, never lied. I've never done any of these in my whole life. And here's what Jesus said. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him, and he said, You lack one thing. Go sell all you have, give it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Um, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had many great possessions. You know, and I think some have misunderstood what Jesus is doing here and thought, well, Jesus got, just finally landed on the one thing that the young man had not done, right? He, he failed with his money, his possessions, and Jesus finally nailed the one thing. But that's actually not exactly what's going on. Um, Jesus is cutting through all of that, and he's getting down to the heart of the matter. Um, Jesus is pointing out that this young man's making the same mistake that many people are making. The young ruler thought he had never committed any of these sins before. He, he knew he had never committed any of those sins, maybe with his body, um, but Jesus knew that there was more going on deeper in his heart. And he knew this young man had committed all of those sins, probably, deep within his heart. And so he cuts through all of it and cuts to the heart, and the young man walks away disappointed. And Jesus does the same thing in our passage this morning. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so as Jesus is sitting down and teaching this group of people, he says to them, you know the commandments, you, you know you shouldn't commit adultery, and you think you're doing really well with this one. Um, but you're not. You, the issue of adultery lies deeper than just our outward actions. It, it lies in our heart and our desires. And so he looks at the group of people and says, you think you're doing really well with adultery. You're maybe even being kind of self-righteous about how you're acting with it. But he says, if you're honest with yourself, deep down in your heart, you've committed this sin. You've looked at someone with lustful intent, and that makes you guilty of committing this sin. And, and it's interesting, as you read through, this comes in the Sermon on the Mount, and as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is constantly doing this, kind of making this move. He's pointing beyond our outward actions, and he's pointing deep within our heart. He does it through the Sermon on the Mount, but he's really doing it through all of his teaching. He's saying that a sinful action, something we do with our hands or even our mouth or with our feet, that those kind of sinful actions can actually happen in our, in our minds and in our heart as well. And what he's pointing at is that even the sinful actions of our hands and our mouths and our feet, they're actually just symptoms of a deeper disease, which is our, our sinful heart our sinful nature. And, and he gets at this later on in the book. He says, make, make the tree good and its fruit will be good. Uh, make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. The tree is known by its fruit. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. That's what that says way down there. But he says here, the, the words that come out of your mouth start in your heart, which is pretty convicting right after you've blown up 
and screamed at someone in a way that you shouldn't have. And you realize, ooh, that started here. There's something more going down in my heart. And actually, he's saying the same thing happens with our hands. The, the actions, we, things we do with our hands and our feet and our bodies, that all originates deep within our heart. And so it's important as we think about the Christian life that we look deeper than our actions, but we look at our heart. Because if we don't, we fall under the same condemnation that Jesus gives the Pharisees, where he says that they're just whitewashed tombs. Clean and tidy on the outside, but on the inside, full of dead men's bones, full of sin and death. And there's a couple applications when you begin to understand this truth. And one is, this really should, is designed in one way to convince us of our sinful nature. Right? You can't really understand that, that these sins that go on outside, if they can also happen in your mind and in your heart, that you recognize that you're doing it all the time. It's popping up within you. And so we can't, it prevents us really from being prideful and being holier than everybody around us because we, we should know our own hearts. We should know that these sins are going on deep within our hearts. And that should, that should humble us. It should convict us of our sin. And it ultimately should drive us to Christ for forgiveness. But one of the other things um, I think it's really important when we begin to understand this is that, you know, when our actions don't reside, when our, the sin isn't just about our external actions, but it's about our hearts, um, that means you need to think more about just doing the right thing. You have to actually begin to feel the right way as you do the right things. Um, remember, we've been created body and soul. Our body and our soul, the external and the internal, these things have to work together. And if they're not, there's something wrong. And where this gets convicting is you can actually be in church singing the praises of God with your mouth and completely in sin and rebellion in your heart. Because it's not just about the external actions, it's about what's going on deep within your heart. It means you can be, on the outside, one of the most generous givers of the church, and yet every time you're, you're giving food to the poor, or any time you're dropping money in the basket, you are sinning horribly in your heart. And so it's not just about what do I do, it's why do I do this action. And it's understanding that act, true praise of God flows from our heart. Or true, generous, joyful giving actually flows from deep within our heart. And so when, when the young, rich, rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? He's saying, you're actually asking the wrong question. It's not just, what should I do? It's, why do I do this action? What's my motivation for it? Am I doing this for my own glory, for my own selfish desires? Or am I doing this to love my neighbor, and, and to love my God. And so Jesus applies this to our sexuality, and he says it's not enough to just be sexually pure on the outside. You also have to be sexually pure on the inside, in your hearts and in your minds. He says, I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Which kind of lends you to the question, what does that even mean? Like, what does it mean to look at someone with lustful intent? It's kind of funny, as I've ministered to adults and teenagers over the years, teenagers, or adults never ask the question um, because they assume, 
I'm an adult. I should understand this by now, and, and so I'm not, not going to ask it. But teenagers just ask. And usually when a teenager asks me this question, um, here's how they ask it. They read this passage, and then they go, does this mean that I can't even look at someone of the opposite sex and find them attractive? Like, if I'm doing that, does that mean I'm sinning? And uh, to answer the question, you have to kind of understand, you have to understand what lust is at, at its core. And, and the word is just, the Greek word is the word desire, and then it's amplified. Okay, so it's like desire on steroids, kind of desire that's almost running out of control. And so this guy named Dennis Hollinger gives this de- definition that's helpful. He says, sexual lust in scripture is not mere desire, Uh, For sexual desire itself is part of God's good creation, right? Sexual desire is a good thing that God has created in us. But sinful lust is impulsive and unrestrained desire that turns those good desires into harmony of the human self, and it distorts true love in relationships. And so it's this impulsive, unrestrained desire that kind of distorts everything around us. And And when you understand it that way, you begin to see why it's so deadly and and why God condemns it. Um, Because since it's impulsive and it's unrestrained, it's it's selfish. At its core, lust is, is selfish. It's all about me, 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 me. What can I get out of this? How can I use this thing, whatever it is? Lust applies beyond sexuality. How can I use this thing to satisfy my desires. And so we, we start to use things not for the glory of God or for the love of our neighbor, but we use things for me. And so at its core, lust is about what we can get out of it, or how can I use this thing or this person for my own purposes. And so then, you, if you understand lust that way, then you go back to the question that the teenager asks, okay, does that mean I can't look at someone of the opposite sex and find them attractive? Am I sinning when I do that? No. Um, Not necessarily, but don't don't fool yourself either. Right? Of course, um, so last night, um, we took my nephews out. We sat out on the lake, and I saw that we had a really beautiful sunset. And I saw the beautiful sunset, and I went, thank you, Lord. That's, That's beautiful. You could even do that. With a beautiful person, you could see that and say, wow, Lord, look at your beautiful creation and give praise and glory to God. That's possible. But for most people, I would say, um, the, the innocent recognition of someone's beauty quickly turns into something else. Um, and just one example, I'm assuming that most of you, when you go to a beach, and it's full of bikini-clad women, shirtless men, it's not an experience that drives you to deeper prayer and praise of God. (laughs) Right? It doesn't happen because there's something going on inside of us. Rather, what ends up happening is the initial recognition of someone's beauty, you say, oh, that person's attractive. That's not sin. However, then you keep looking, and you keep looking longer, and then now you're using their beauty to satisfy you. And it's not about them anymore. It's like, I'm going to use your beauty for my desires, for my purposes. And then it's switched from just recognition of beauty to lust. And that's just the beginnings of lust. Obviously, it can go much further 
than that. And so then it's no longer an innocent thing. It's actually a sinful thing that brings death along with it. And, and one of the interesting things I noticed this week is uh, notice where Jesus says this starts. He says it starts with our eyes and it ends in our hearts. He says, I say to you, everyone who looks with their eyes at a woman, and the same as with a man, with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with them in their heart. And so it begins with the eyes and it goes into your heart. And so we talk, we have this phrase in our culture, like the the eyes are the window to the soul, um, but it's also the door to our heart. The things we see get down and they affect our heart. It changes our heart. And so um, John Stott um, says this. He says, I doubt if ever human beings have fallen victim to immorality who have not first opened the sluice gates. This is an older guy. Of passion through their eyes. He said, almost every sin of immorality started with the eyes. Similarly, whenever men and women have learned sexual self-control in their deed or in their action, it's because they first learned it in the eyes of both flesh and fantasy. And so if you want to be able to control your actions, you have to first learn how to control your eyes, your heart, your emotions, and then that will overflow into your actions as well. And it's just important to realize that lust is not just some little thing. Something we can just dabble in whenever we feel like it. Um, it will kill you. It will kill you, body and soul. Uh, at, a, at a basic level, Scripture tells us the wages of sin is death. All sin leads to death, and, and lust is a sin, and it will slowly kill you. It will slowly eat you away from the inside out. Um, and all sin, just in nature, and lust is one of them, they're all addictive by nature. And actually, if you think about it, I know some of you have struggled with addiction over the years. Actually, every single addiction that I could think of this week has lust at its core. Not necessarily sexual lust, but lust. All addiction is driven by this impulsive, unrestrained desire for something. Maybe alcohol maybe cigarettes, maybe drugs, maybe some sexual sin, but it's all driven by lust at its core, and, or food even. You can be addicted to food and just be unimpulsive and unrestrained desire for food, and all of those things, if you continue to indulge them, they will kill you. They'll eat you away and destroy you. Which is why Jesus says you need to take drastic measures. And he uses hyperbole to get his point across. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better you lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. And I think on one level, we, we get it. Um, I, some of you have had to make these kind of decisions about your just physical body. I remember... A man from my previous congregation who had a lot of issues with his feet and came to a point where he got a bunch of infection in his foot and it wouldn't heal. And the doctor told him, we either have to remove your foot or you're going to die. And on one level, that's a really difficult decision. But on the other level, it's, it's an easy decision. You cut the foot off, right? It's no use having two feet and being dead. 
Like, there, there's no benefit there. And so we understand it on that, but then when we get into these other areas of our lives, we don't want to apply that. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard someone say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to go to the beach anymore because it just causes me, I'm too tempted to lust, and I'd rather keep myself alive, body and soul, than, than to enjoy swimming. I'm just going to cut that off. Or people talk about their, their computers or their TVs or whatever, whatever it is that could possibly tempt you to lust. People don't talk about cutting those things out of their lives to save them body and soul. And you can make a list after list after list. But the point is, there are times in our lives where there are things creeping in and causing temptation in our lives. And we need to take drastic measures to remove them from our lives or to remove ourselves from those situations. And I want to clarify something just before I move on, because I'm not saying that Christians should never go to the beach, because <laughs> um, we do, and I'd be a hypocrite. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have TVs or computers in your house, because we do, and I'd be a hypocrite. Um, I'm saying that maybe some Christians shouldn't, or some Christians maybe shouldn't go to the beach. It's wh- whatever's causing that temptation to arise in your heart. And you should remove it. So obviously you can go to the beach and you're not just consumed with lust the whole time. And obviously you can watch TV and go on your computers and not be consumed with lust all the time. But if you notice that those things are causing that in you, cut them out. Remove them from your life. People may call you a fool or a Puritan or a prude or whatever. It doesn't matter. Rather be called a prude or a Puritan than go to hell. That's Jesus' point. Cut it out. Remove them from your life or remove yourself from that situation so that you can live. Um, John Stott says, we may have to become culturally maimed in order to preserve our purity of mind. I love that. The culture may look at you and call you a fool in order to keep your purity. But, but in all of this talk, we, we can't forget Jesus. Remember, Jesus has told us when we look to him in faith, he will forgive our sins. And so we can't, don't forget that Christ brings forgiveness because the truth is we're not going to do this perfectly. We're going to fall. We're going to mess up. We're going to come into situations where we're, we're falling into the temptation of lust or any of these other things. We're going to mess them up. And just about the time you think you've got it under control, you're going to fall again. And as a Christian, we don't just sit and beat ourselves up when we fall into those sins. You don't just sit, I'm stupid, you idiot, and sit, and sit under that shame and guilt. As a Christian, you have a place to go with that shame and guilt. You bring it to Christ. You lay it at his feet. And you say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then you trust that he will forgive you, and he'll cleanse you, and he'll put you back on your feet. And then you walk. Again, you don't get any of that because you deserve it. You get it because Christ loves you. And what that also does is it prevents us from living in fear. Um, I know a number of Christians who are always living in fear of, of failing or messing up or falling into some sort of sin. They're just tentatively walking, like, kind of live like they're walking through a minefield. Like, oh, I can't do this. I might sin over here. I might do this. That's not how we're called to live. We're called to live in freedom. God has not given us a spirit of fear. We, we live in the world. We don't live like a fool, putting ourselves in situations where we're going to be tempted all the time. But we don't live in fear of 
maybe accidentally stumbling into something that's going to tempt us. No, we live in freedom. And then when we stumble into something that we shouldn't have done and we mess up, then we go to Christ, ask forgiveness. And he forgives us, and he cleanses us, and he sets us back on our feet, and he moves us forward. And actually, we're promised that not only does he forgive us, but he gives us strength and power in those situations to say no. Through the power of the Holy Spirit in us as Christians, you, you get into a situation where you're tempted to, to lust or to whatever that temptation is for you, and it says through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will strengthen you to be able to say no, to turn the channel, close your eyes, turn away, walk away, or just say no. He gives us the power to do that through the Spirit. And even more so, more than just giving us the power and the guidance as we walk through life, the promise of the gospel is actually that our desires will be changed. Our hearts will be changed. And so our hearts and minds will begin to change so that we actually don't look at the things around us as things to be used to just satisfy us and our own desires. And, and it's changed so that we don't even look at the people around us as people who can satisfy our own desires. We actually begin to look at people as people we can love and serve for the glory of God, because Christ is changing our hearts. It's a lifelong renovation plan. It's not, it doesn't happen overnight, but as we grow in our faith, our hearts are changed so that at some point we may actually be able to see an attractive person, and we don't use their beauty to try to satisfy our own desires, but we see them and we go, how can I love and serve that person for God's glory? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you and give you thanks for your patience with each one of us. Lord, we recognize that in so many of these areas we fall short regularly on a daily basis even at times. And, and yet you don't kick us to the curb. You don't get rid of us. You don't walk away from us. But you continue to forgive when we repent and turn to you. And so, Lord, we ask your forgiveness for the ways that we fall short and the ways that we often um, use our hearts and our minds to, to sin against you. And we ask your forgiveness and, and cleansing for us this morning. But Lord, we want more than just forgiveness. We want our hearts changed. And so, Father, change our hearts so we don't just live with these lustful desires trying to use everything around us for our own purposes, but change our hearts so that we truly seek things and use them for loving you or for loving and serving our neighbor. And Father, we do ask for your strength, the strength of your spirit as we go through the world and as we encounter temptation after temptation after temptation. Lord, may your spirit give us strength and wisdom. Wisdom to know when to cut something off. Wisdom to know when to walk away, but also strength to say no. Strength to stand firm when some people may call us fools for saying no. Lord, it's our desire that our lives would bring glory and honor to you. And that includes our sexuality. That includes our lustful hearts. And so change us, Lord, and, and use us in the world to bring you glory, but also to further your kingdom here. And all God's people said, amen. <laughs>